This was given to me last week uh, by David Hayward, who's a guy in the church, used to be an elder here in the church, and um, it's actually a copy, I'll, I'll leave it out the front after you want to have a look at it, it's newspapers that were written in 1906, and um, this is written um, by uh, an organi- well, it was by the group of people that were known as the Azusa Street Revival. Anyone heard of the Azusa Street Revival? In 1904, in a little mission hall, a little ramshackle hall in uh, Azusa Street in California, in Los Angeles, California, uh, a one-eyed, uh, one-eyed son of a slave, uh, black man, William Seymour, God used him to help usher in what's called the Pentecostal revival. It happened in 1904. And just a couple of years after that, as this was still all going on, Apostolic Faith was the, uh, the name of this uh, newspaper that was written. And it's literally full, as you can see, it's literally full of uh, newspaper reports of what happened in those early days in that little mission hall. Let me just read a few. And when I came to look at it, I thought, I'm going to read this out. Then I looked and thought, I really need to get my eyes sorted out because I can't read the thing. That's what happens to men of a certain age. Here we go. And other things, but we won't go there. So, a Muslim... A man who's an interpreter and speaks 16 languages came into the meetings at Azusa Street. The Lord gave him messages which none but himself could understand. He identified, interpreted and wrote down a number of the languages. A brother who'd been a spiritualist medium and was so possessed with demons that he had no rest and was on the point of committing suicide was instantly delivered of demon power. He then sought God for the pardon of his sins and is now filled with a different spirit. Isn't that great? About 150 people in Los Angeles, more than were gathered at the day of Pentecost in the upper room, have received the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Bible evidence, the gift of tongues, and many have been saved. Nobody knows how many. People are seeking at the altar three times a day, and it's hard to close the meetings at night on account of the people who are seeking and those who are under the power of God. And as you read through this, it's amazing how many stories of healing and of salvation and of baptism in the Spirit there are. And over these last few weeks, we're looking at the start of the Pentecostal movement. We're a part of the Elim Church, George Jeffries and Stephen Jeffries and other people like that that began uh, the Pentecostal and the Assemblies of God, Elim Assemblies of God denominations in, in England in the 20s and the 30s. And before that, in Azusa Street. And this whole period, the start of the 20th century... And there was a revelation that the gospel is a four-square gospel, that Jesus is healer, Jesus is saviour, healer, baptiser and coming king. And we're revisiting that and looking at what those terms mean, not just in history, but what do they mean in reality. So two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Jesus is a saviour. Salvation is not just salvation from our sins, so we go to heaven when we die. Salvation is when God rescues us from a life of disconnection with God. And we all need saving all of the time because we get disconnected from the life of God. But God rescues us from disconnection and plugs us back into the life of God. And that's great news, isn't it? Not only is he the saviour that brings life, he's the healer. Not only does he do physical healings, but as we said last week, there are deeper healings than physical healings. There are other kinds of healings that God's about. The nine o'clock service, we had a testimony for a, a woman who came last week who could not move her arm uh, because she got kind of repetitive uh, injury there with her, with her arm. And she was prayed for last Sunday morning and she's spinning her arm around with no pain. Fantastic. Great. We love that. But there are deeper healings than physical healings as well. That's what we looked at last week. Today, we're going to look at that third pillar, which is baptizer. If you've not been baptized in water, you should be. Okay. And you can be. Please tell us you want to be. We will fill the tank. 
all right? We will put you in. We will hold you under for 20 minutes or so until you are fully baptized. It's a brilliant experience. You should be baptized. But the early Pentecostals were thinking more of the baptism in the Spirit when they thought of this four-square gospel. Now, this is controversial. There are many views out there. And uh, you may have your own views. I obviously have God's view. And uh, you're very... That's a joke. It's a joke. And if you do have a different opinion to me, that's absolutely fine. The most important thing is not what opinions we have. The most important thing is that we pursue God. We pursue God. And I want to give you my understanding of this whole subject. C.H. Spurgeon, who was a great preacher hundreds of years ago, he said, The thing the church wants in this time is God's Holy Spirit. You all get up plans and you say now that if the church were altered a little bit, it would do better. You think if there were different ministers or a different church order, then all would be well. No, dear friends, it's not there the mistake lies. It's not, it's that we want more of the Spirit of God. It's what we need. We need more of the Spirit of God at work within our lives. There are lots of opinions on this, but I want to look first at the story of baptism in the Spirit as you see it in the book of Acts. So if you turn to the book of Acts, we're going to go right the way through Acts in three minutes. So that's going to be quite quick. All right, just let me show you a few different things. So it begins in Acts chapter 2, the story of the baptism of the Spirit in one sense. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them. All of them, how many of them? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, another, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. These early believers were fearful. They were gathered as a, as a group of men and women in a room. And the Holy Spirit came and changed their lives. And they spilled out onto the streets. And they looked to everyone else like they were drunk. So something physical happened to them. It looked like they were drunk. They weren't drunk. Well, they were drunk, but not drunk with wine. They were drunk with the Spirit of God. God had so filled them that outwardly you could see the difference. But the most important thing was that they became bold in proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And 3,000 people became followers of Jesus that day. Now, fast forward to Acts 4. The apostles have been taken into prison or they're put in front of the Sanhedrin and threatened with prison if they don't stop preaching about Jesus. But they can't help it because they're filled with the Spirit. They just can't help it. And it says in verse 29, they pray, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, listen, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled. How many of them? All filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the same people that were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. So they're filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. The same people are filled again in Acts chapter 4. That's interesting. Acts chapter 8. This is Philip in Samaria. Preaches the gospel. Loads of people become Christians. Look at verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they'd already become Christians, followers of Jesus... But then later, they're prayed for that they receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They'd simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 10. Sorry, Acts 9. We missed one. 
Saul becomes Paul, but when he was still Saul, he has an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. But look in verse 17 of Acts 9. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius and his whole household. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, these non-Jews. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here the order is all messed up. They become converted, they're baptized in the Spirit, and then they're baptized in water. What's going on? Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 in all. So what do we understand from all of that? We understand that it doesn't all work out exactly the same way every time, does it? You see, sometimes when you're converted, you receive the baptism of the Spirit, and I'll explain that in a minute, at the same time, but sometimes you don't, as is portrayed in the book of Acts. My understanding, okay, and what I believe the truth to be, is that at conversion, when you become a Christian, when you decide to become a follower of Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes into you. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit at work within you. So the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, God deposits that there when you become a follower of Christ. It's like a pilot light in a boiler. The light comes on. But, but, how many of you know that you want, not now, but in a few months' time, we in England will want that pilot light to come on, won't we? Not just to be on as a flame, but to explode, to go boom, so that the power goes around the system like it's intended to do. The early Pentecostal believers believed that that was the baptism of the Spirit. So you cannot be a Christian without the Spirit of Christ in you. Because the Spirit testifies, okay? It's not you that's just chosen to become a Christian. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God is testifying within you that this is the truth and you receive Christ. You become regenerated, redeemed, born again, whatever you want to say. And it's like a pilot light. But that pilot light needs to go boom and explode so that the power goes around the system. For many people, it happens exactly at the same time. They, the Holy Spirit's at work, they surrender to God like we've sung this morning, they give their lives to Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit happens. For some people it happens like this, it's like salvation and then fullness. For some people it's like this, 
It can be a long time afterwards. That was my experience. But I believe that the fullness of the Spirit is available to all of us. And without it, we're not living the life that God wants us to live. Salvation, connected to the life of God. Healing, deeper than physical, but physical as well. And the fullness of the Spirit are three pillars that we, our faith is built upon. And when we are filled with the Spirit, what happens is lots of things happen. There is power to witness. There is the sense of the fruit, the kind of Spirit producing fruit within you. There are the gifts of the Spirit. Tongues seems to be the most common one, and we'll look at that in a moment, but there are others. There's a deeper connection to God in worship. Do you ever sense that sometimes when you're worshipping, and worship's not just singing, we know that, but when you are singing and you you think the songs are great, but I want to go further. You ever sense that? You want to sing in the Spirit, and you want to connect to God at a spiritual level. And there's that deep assurance that the Spirit brings, that your love does never fail. That all things do work together for our good, even though we don't feel like it. That's the work of the fullness of the Spirit that testifies that we are God's and that God is, you know, is, is on our side and with us. That's what happens with the fullness of the Spirit. It's a little bit like the difference between rowing a boat and sailing a boat. When you row a boat, all the energy and effort is yours. When you sail a boat, you still have to do something. You still have to, there's some effort there. You have to get the sail set right, and I don't sail at all. You have to tack. I think that's a sailing word. You have to get things positioned right, but the energy that drives you comes from another source. It's like cycling. I've just started cycling. The difference between cycling and riding a motorbike. When you cycle, all the energy is yours, isn't it? Well, it should be anyway, (laughs) as you're going up the hill. But when you're on a motorbike, you still have to do something. You still have to position, you still have to set, you still have effort. But the energy that drives you is not your energy, it's the energy of another source. That's the baptism of the Spirit. I want to live a Christian life that's not all my effort and energy, but that's set in the sail. So the energy from another source is what drives me. Amen? That's what we want to look at this morning. I want to just tell you my story for a moment. My story is that... I, um, <laughs> I said it in the nine o'clock and I, it came as a bit of a shock. I gave my life to Christ at the age of 15, which I've worked out is nearly 30 years, which is just incredibly old. Uh, I, I, when I gave my life to Christ, I was brought up in the Salvation Army. And I love the Salvation Army. It's my background. It's my roots. I thank God for it. But when I was growing up, we loved 1 Corinthians 13, which talks about love. We never talked about 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, which talks about the gifts of the Spirit. We just, I never heard anything about the gifts of the Spirit when I was growing up. And then when I was 15 and a half, and I kind of surrendered my life to Christ, it's like something happened in me. The pilot light came on. All of a sudden, the Bible became really interesting. It was miraculous. The people that were preaching had suddenly been baptised with, with like an interesting gene. Like the week before, they were really boring. But all of a sudden, they got really interesting. And I used to think, what happened to you, Sunday school teacher? You were so dull last week, and you're excited. What happened is that the Spirit of God was at work in me. You see, if you find the Bible dull and boring, there's nothing wrong with the Bible, but there's a lot wrong with you. And what, me, what it means is that the Holy Spirit is not really at work in you. Because if it is... You'll just want to be grabbing hold of the Bible. You'll want to be devouring it because the Spirit of God is at work within you. So I became a Christian and there was something going on there. But I'd never heard about the Holy Spirit. I had no teaching, like some of the people in Acts. And then we started going to things like Spring Harvest. And I remember going to a late night workshop by a guy called Jim Graham. Fantastic 
Baptist pastor, he's retired now, and, and, and he did this workshop on being filled with the Spirit. I'd never heard anything like it in my life, but I was intrigued. And then over the next few years, I began to really seek God for this experience of being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And uh, I remember that Alison and myself, my wife Alison, uh, we were going out at the time and she entered into that experience with seemingly no bother at all. But for me, it was an incredible bother. Contrary to popular opinion, I'm quite a thinking person, all right? And that's shattered your illusions now. And so all the time the struggles were, but is that me? Is that God? How does that work? Don't understand that. And all the time it was here, here, here. And I went for prayer loads of times, loads of times, and nothing seemed to happen. And then I remember that I started working in the back of the building here for Christ for All Nations, which was, used to be in the back of the building. And I was still in the Salvation Army, but I started working for them. So heard Reinhard Bonnke and Benny Hinn and some of these other characters, okay, and saw and experienced some amazing things, which totally blew my mind. And I didn't understand a lot of that, and I still don't, okay? But as I was looking at that, I wanted more of God. I wanted more of God. And it didn't seem to happen. And I can remember me and Alison used to talk about it um, late into the night and stuff. And I got, used to get quite intense, because I am intense. And uh, I used to say, come on, God, come on. And I think that in my mind, I thought that God would open my mouth and grab my tongue and shake it very fast. And this speaking in tongues would happen, and it didn't. And then there was a mission that this church put on. I wasn't part of this church then. And George Miller and Neil Stevenson, many of you remember Neil. You know, he died 10 or 11 years ago and... Neil was a leader in this church, just a fabulous man of God. I miss him so much. Because I think when, when it comes to this kind of subject, I said to Sylvia, his wife, at the, uh, his widow at the 9 o'clock, I really miss Neil a lot this week. I was thinking and praying you know, about this subject, and I, and I knew that if he'd have been here, he'd have just been the one taking a lead in this. But, but, but him and George were doing this mission, and we were, I was given the opportunity to come up and to attend the meetings. And I came and attended the meetings, and every meeting I thought, I want to go forward for prayer, but I didn't. Because I thought, I've done it before and nothing happens. And I put it off and put it off. And on the last meeting, at the last altar call, I came and I stood at the end of the line. And someone prayed for me. And something happened. And something exploded within me and I began to speak in tongues. That doesn't mean that I've arrived. What it does mean is that I know that there can be a distance between that experience when you give your life to Christ and when that fullness of the Spirit begins to happen. My belief is that fullness of the experience is not a one-off thing anyway. It's a continual thing. What I want to look at this morning is I want to look at speaking in tongues. Whenever I speak about baptism in the Spirit, I've always downplayed speaking in tongues because I know how divisive it can be. I know what a problem I found it to be. But I really felt God challenged me this week to say, do it. And actually, after staff devotions, one of the staff came to me privately and said, when we were in devotions and praying, I felt God say to say to you, you have to take a risk on Sunday. So here we go. So I'm taking a risk. What is speaking in tongues? The Bible says it's a language that either can be a known language, in other words, a a language that's, that's, that's in existence but you don't know it naturally, or it can be an angelic language. There are three purposes for speaking in tongues. One is a missional purpose, because when the disciples were filled with spirit and they were baptized at the day of Pentecost, the result was that many people became Christians. They heard the tongues and they recognized this must be God. I have another Bulgarian friend, many Bulgarian friends, but my first Bulgarian friend became my first interpreter, if you like, when I was out there. He came to faith through this, that he learned English at school and his mother dragged him to a Pentecostal prayer meeting 
And he was listening, and, and, and as they were singing, he was looking and thinking, what is all this about? And a guy in front of him, an old guy, started singing in English. And my friend said to him, where did you learn English? And he said, I don't know English. It was the Spirit. And my friend said, wow, this, God must be real. So there can be a missional dynamic to speaking in tongues. There can be a communal dynamic. The Bible speaks about a, a message in tongues where someone utters it out, speaks it out, and someone else interprets it into English so that we all understand what God's saying to us and we can be built up by that. But the primary purpose, I believe, for speaking in tongues is a personal thing in worship. And the Bible says, Paul says, it edifies you, it builds you up. And I want to say a few things about speaking in tongues. You know, Paul says it in, in 1 Corinthians 13, though we speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Yeah. Let me use that phrase. Though I speak with tongues, I am still an intelligent person. Okay? Because we speak in tongues does not mean that we're irrational and that we, are, that we forget our minds and that we don't think. It doesn't mean that. Though I speak with tongues, I am still a sensible person. It doesn't mean I become absurd or foolish. Though I speak with tongues, I'm still a fallible person. I still make mistakes. Often people think, oh, if you speak in tongues, that means you're better than me. I'm not better than you. I speak in tongues. If you don't, it doesn't make me better than you because I speak in tongues. But I tell you what, it makes me a better me. It makes me a better me than than I was before. I'm not better you, better than you, but it makes me a better me. Though I speak with tongues, I'm a growing person. Not yet there yet. We're still growing and developing. Though I speak with tongues, I'm a dependable person. Some people think that if you're filled with the Spirit, you're, you're going to be really prone to a loss of reliability. You, you know what I mean? You're easily swayed. You'll be no earthly use. You won't pay your bills. You won't turn up on time. You won't do what you've said. Listen, if that's you, you're not filled with the Spirit. Because being filled with the Spirit is going to produce that within you. So even though you're filled with the Spirit, you're still a dependable person. Though I speak with tongues, I'm still a sinful person. You know, people think, oh, if I could have some experience with God's Spirit, then that, that would be it. You know, then, it doesn't, then I can live however I want to live and just have experiences with God. That's not the case at all. And though I speak in tongues, I'm still a biblical and a Christ-centered person. You know, I really believe that speaking in tongues is just one of those gifts. It's not the only gift, but it's one of those gifts that builds us up internally, helps me to magnify God in words that I don't understand, And it's a gateway for other gifts. It provides a direct communication with God. And I want to encourage you, okay, if you've never had this gift, I believe that you can have it. I believe it's not the only thing and it should not be your fixation like it was for me in my 20s. But I believe it's a really important thing. It's a gateway into a wider experience of God's Spirit. So what's your story? We've looked at the Acts story, looked at my story. What's your story this morning? You may have noticed over here uh, some jugs of water. And from where you're sitting, I want to ask you a question. This big jug here, is this filled with water? Is it full? Mm, some of you are not quite sure because of where you're sitting. Dan very helpfully said it, and I got reasonably. In a very English way, reasonably. It's actually not quite full, but if I was to fill it up, to the top, is that full now? Some of you can't tell because of how far you are away from it. In fact, the only real test in this kind of uh, example of whether it's full is when we start to move it. Because, you see, I'm not sure that's quite full actually. Because if I was to fill it up a little tiny bit more, nothing happening there. But when I move it, whoa, there's an overflow. 
And I wonder, if I ask you the question, are you full of the Holy Spirit? You might say yes. But here's another question. Are you overflowing? Because I believe that the only real way you can measure fullness is by overflow. And overflow happens when you move. When we're moving, if there's overflow, that's a sure sign that we are full of the Spirit of God. And I want to suggest to you this morning that and the Spirit isn't a liquid, all right? This is a metaphor, and Paul uses the metaphor in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which is a command, by the way. Which is a command. Do not get drunk on wine, or beer, or vodka, or anything else. Do not get drunk is a command. Not just then, it is now. But instead, and, and drunk on wine is a liquid. Do not get drunk on wine, because that will control you and drive you to be who you're not created to be. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. So he uses that metaphor of liquid as well. But the Holy Spirit isn't a liquid. But the idea is this, that we're filled and we need to be continually filled. Because when Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit, it's a command, not a suggestion. It's plural for everyone, not singular. It's in the present tense. So it really means keep on being filled with the Spirit. And it's passive. We don't do it. God does it. So my question to you this morning is, how full are you? How full of the Holy Spirit are you? And if you want a measurement, when you move, is there overflow? Is there overflow? Is there something spilling out of God's life and God's power? I'm not asking, have you been filled in the Spirit yesterday or 10 or 20 years ago? I'm asking you, how full are you now? Right now. We're going to draw to a close. And there are three, when I've been praying, there are three issues I believe we need, some of us need to really grapple with today. Number one, some of us have well issues. You have issues with your wells. What do I mean? In Genesis 29, 26, verse 18, it says, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up. Philistines in the Bible are always a picture of the enemy of God. That's why David had such a big problem with the Philistines. And here was Abraham who had these wells and they were putting the bucket down and there was life and there was water. But the Philistines stopped them up and Isaac, his son, had to reopen the wells of his father. That's what the early Pentecostal pioneers at the start of the 20th century, that's what they did. They reopened the well of salvation. They reopened the well of healing. They reopened the well of the baptism of the Spirit. They didn't invent it. They didn't create it. It wasn't new. They reopened what had been blocked up. Some of us need to do that this morning. Some of you, you've known what it is to drink from the well of the Spirit. You know what it is for God to speak to you. You know what it is to communicate with God in worship. You know what it is to have visions. You know what it is to have words. You know what it is to have that sense of relationship. And it's been a long time since that happened. That's because the, you've allowed the enemy to fill up the well. And you need to reopen it today. Some of us have not well issues, but we have river issues Jesus said, it says of Jesus in John 7, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. I'm convinced that the world will be turned upside down by people who are living inside out. And as we allow the Spirit of Christ to fill us from the inside out, streams of living water, we will not help it. We can't help it. The world will be impacted. But there's some of you here this morning and you've never had this experience. You've never had that pilot light go boom. You've never sensed the streams of living water flowing from within you. By this Jesus said, he meant the Spirit. You've never had it 
And you can have it. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And he will release those rivers of living water within you. The third area, some of us have dam issues. We have issues with dams. You know these things that block up the water. We have hindrances, blockages, barriers. I had them. You have them. We all have them. I have them now. (laughs) I need to be continually filled with the Spirit. And I have to work through those dams, those blockages, those barriers. And so I want to invite you this morning. Whether you need to reopen the wells. Whether you need to come to Jesus for those rivers. Whether you need to identify those dams and say, break down this barrier. I want to invite you to come to Jesus this morning and ask for him to fill you with his spirit. Three principles for being filled with the spirit. Come with openness and faith. Come with as clean heart as you possibly can. And come willing to do something. You know, when you come out and when you ask for prayer, if you've never spoken in tongues... What will happen is that you'll hear a word in your mind and you'll think, that can't be God, that must be me. Listen, why don't you flip that around this morning? Why can't that be God? Why can't it be God? If you come with sincerity and openness, when God gives you a word, why can't that be God? And you know, with speaking in tongues, it's very rare that the whole tongue comes in one go. Usually what happens is that there's a word that comes in your mind and you speak it out and you feel a right muppet. Okay, that's an English word. You've, okay, and, and you think, what is this? But as you speak a little bit more, it begins to grow. I know a few Bulgarian words. I, I know I should know more, okay? But I know that learning a natural language, you only start with a few words. And it only comes when you practice and when you use it. And I want to say to some of you who do speak in tongues, and you've stopped, start again. See what God might want to do by opening that up to you this morning. You know, when you come, come expectant and come open for God to fill you with his spirit. Because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And if you think, oh, I'm not quite sure, and it might be a little scary. Listen, the Bible says in Luke 11, if any of you fathers, natural earthly fathers, you want good things for your kids, how much more would our God in heaven? When you come with a sincerity, asking God to fill you, why would he give you something scary, painful or damaging why would he do that why don't you trust in God ultimately this is about trusting God isn't it and I believe that God will fill us with his spirit whether you feel anything or not it's by faith it's by faith that we receive and I want to encourage you just like with lots of other things let's begin something today and let's by God's spirit say please Lord help this not just be a beginning and an end but be a beginning but be a beginning of something new and something fresh Why don't we pray? Father, we stand or we sit really before you today and we we all want to acknowledge in, in one way or another we need you. None of us are that full that we can't just receive more of you. God, if we are, that's great. But I sense that most of us are not. And Lord, we deep in our hearts, when we move, we want there to be an overflow. Not not just because you know you're going to do things through us but because we want more of you in our life we want to know you more we don't just want to know about you but we want to know you intimacy and relationship and God I pray that Lord that that life the streams of living water that Jesus spoke about that flow from within us Lord God the enemy has blocked those the enemy has filled those wells in the enemy has stopped that God I pray that even today 
that the work of the enemy would come to an end in many of our lives and that we would say again, it's today I'm going to reopen the well. It's today I'm going to go to Jesus for those rivers of living water. It's today I'm going to pull that dam down, that blockage, that barrier, and I'm going to receive something fresh from you. Jesus, I just want to pray that you would fill us with your spirit as we wait on you in these moments. Jesus.